Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 41. Just a little bit of what is going on here, in that Joseph has interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh, the dreams that had caused great concern of seven good years and seven bad years, and, and Joseph has correctly interpreted these. But now that there's understanding of what the dreams meant, there's also another problem, and Pharaoh begins to address it here. So I'll begin reading in verse 33, and I'll skip down a little bit. In verse 33, chapter 41, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man, or search out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh knew by the interpretation of the dreams that someone, some leader, needed to rise among the group. Someone needed to, to take this opportunity that had been seen in these dreams. Someone needed to lead it and someone needed to be set over Egypt. And then in verse 38, I'll back up to 37, and the, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this? Can we find a man who can rise to this moment? And then he lists these strange qualifications. Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? What qualification did even Pharaoh know was going to be necessary to meet this challenge? He knew, and I don't know how he knew, this pagan god, Pharaoh of Israel, I don't know how he knew by Joseph's witness or by the witness of others, but he knew that the the only person who could actually understand and administer what had been seen in the dreams was going to be a man in whom you could see the Spirit of God. Because the task at hand was huge. First of all, this meant the, the salvation of these people. It meant that if they did this well, that they could prosper in a time of great peril. And it gave them the opportunity to obey the vision of God. All of those things were tremendous tasks that had to be accomplished by the heart of someone in the life of someone who was going to rise to this leadership position. So when you understand the size of the task, you would also, from what we know, understand why it was going to be so necessary that you find a man in whom the Spirit of God would live. I mean, if we were given the responsibility today to save a people, to save their lives, not just save them so they could prosper, but to save them. But not only save them, but to save them so that they could prosper in this time of great peril. And so they could say at the end of the day that they had been obedient to the vision of God. So that word says two things. We're looking for a man and a man in whom the Spirit lives. Go with me to Acts chapter 17, if you would, please. I want to look at verse 16 and 17. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul had this characteristic. When God was searching, you know, and I, I used to quote a lot, Second Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That God is always searching. God is always looking for any man or any woman, any boy or any girl, 
He's searching every day across the face of the earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfect toward him, because if he can find them, then he can demonstrate his great power through them. But he has to find a perfect heart. Well, that seems like, okay, that disqualifies many. No, that qualifies everyone. Because the perfect heart is that heart that begins when anything that God says, any instruction that God gives, any obedience he asks, the answer from us has to be, if you have a perfect heart, I can't. You will not have a perfect heart if it doesn't start right there. Because those of us who still think we can, who can raise resources and do things out of our own strength, he'll have to wait longer because our hearts are not yet perfect. The perfect heart says, I can't, but God, you never asked me to. You said you would do it through me. Here I am, Mary, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever you need to do in me, whatever you need to do through me, whatever moment you need to create, here I am. That's the perfect heart. And you can imagine then, if God can find it, that he can place in that heart the Spirit of God that can do amazing and remarkable things. He says he's searching every day, just looking for those. That's why it's a little sad within the religious world that we have taught Christians to try to do things for God. Because it leaves us with a immediate attention given to, okay, if I'm going to do it for him, what are the capabilities I have? What are the resources I have? And it makes us incorrectly assess how we're going to get things done. Well, this Second Chronicles 16.9 has been a scripture on my heart for a long time. First heard it from Major Ian Thomas when he said it, and it just struck a chord with me. Because I wanted to be one of those people who had that perfect heart. If he's going to tell us within the scripture, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, we have to acknowledge immediately that he's not asking us to get busy and trying to be like God. He's trying to get us to recognize the fact that we can't be, so that we'll ask God to be God in us, so that God can produce through us those things that he expects from us. Always to us, through us, and from us. It's always him. That is what he's searching for. So when we read in this passage that Paul's spirit stirred within him, what we're recognizing is that Paul has that attribute. Paul has that characteristic that was even being searched for when it was found within Joseph in the Old Testament. That Paul also had that. So the world is still searching for God. The plan for where he is to be found has never changed. Where is God supposed to be found? In us. It's a strange task. I said yesterday, Jen's aunt passed away several months ago in Eugene, Oregon. And a remarkable, remarkable woman. Again, it was difficult even sharing to, to put words around who this woman was. Characteristics so unique. Jan's uncle met her when she was 17 in England. They married there, and he came home. Several months later, she came to the United States, to West Texas from England, and didn't get to go home or see her family again for the next 20 years. A remarkable woman. One of the favorite stories she shared with us and her son shared yesterday. They were on a long flight, and she said she worked diligently trying to get hers and Richard's seats together. But on this particular flight, they couldn't do it. So the lady said, well, we'll just put him right behind you. We'll just get you that close. And so she said on this long flight that she would just reach back and pat him on the leg to just let him know 
I'm here and I hope you're all right. So in the flight, she had to get up and use the restroom. So when she turned to go down the aisle, she recognized that Richard was two seats back. And the guy had a magazine over his face, you know. She told the stories and she was laughing the whole time that she would tell them. She was just that funny. And she told us another one that they were at Niagara Falls and she said they were going up this ramp or something and she said it was hard. She said everybody had the same raincoats on. And she said her son, uh, Joe Allen and, and Richard were ahead of her and she was just having a hard time. So she just reached up and got a hold of Richard's raincoat and he pulled her to the top. And she said when she got near the top, Richard and Joe Allen were already standing up there. She didn't know who had helped her up there. She lived that life of kind of stumbling into those moments. Truly, truly a a remarkable woman. And one of those women, one of these stories where you find that there was this perfect heart, a recognition. But, you know, we we were there at that service. When we had lunch, this was at the Baptist Church in Seminole. And I sat down with the youth pastor, who is the, currently the interim pastor, and the music director, and was just sharing a few things with them, because I was really encouraging that, that youth pastor, because what the Lord had let me see when he was praying was that he was supposed to be the next pastor. So I was just encouraging him that way. But I recognized, and we, and we all do within ourselves, that we have to, and I thought in that conversation, you know, until we've run to the end of ourselves it's hard to find that perfect heart. Until we've exhausted all of our energy trying to be good Christians, it's hard to find that perfect heart. But if it ever happens, and we ever come before the Lord and say, God, I can't. He loves that moment. He loves the moment upon that admission because he says, now, if you'll let me, I will place in you that one who makes all things capable. And again, I love the illustration, and I use it way too much, you know, of a simple balloon laying here on this podium, Because if I just take it out of a package and lay it there, or if I take it and blow it up, the outside of that balloon is going to always take on and reflect what's going on in it. But immediately, when I blow it up, what I put in it begins to change the capability and the possibilities of that balloon, especially when I fill it with helium. Because that simple balloon, now filled with helium, is going to take on a capability that by itself it did not have. And when God puts the Spirit of God in us, I now have capability that doesn't match me anymore. I now have in me the capability that matches Him. I like that. I like that reality because I don't like the limitations I have, but I can get real excited about the possibilities of what He has. The difference that He can make, the changes, the teaching the instruction and the healing, the deliverance that he can do that I have no capability of doing. He is to be found in us, the world searching. And God didn't intend for him to be found just in us. He certainly has, has created a world where he is evident. You don't have to look far at night and see the magnitude of stars and all that, is, that he's established to recognize that he can be seen in many, many ways. But the reflection of him and who he is was designed to be held in us. And it's unfortunate because the church really doesn't want that anymore. We don't want to say to the world, look at us and see what God is like. Jesus said it. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. I want to tell you that ought to be our testimony. And we shouldn't be frightened by it. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. 
That is our testimony. Not to be ashamed of, not to be hidden, not to even be questioned. But it is a testimony that's not welcome very much anymore. We're searching for men and women of consistency and constancy. And again, very, very difficult to find. We're searching for men and women whose hearts are on fire with a passion for God. This doesn't work well, lukewarm. Our faith in God doesn't work well if it's sometimes or part-time. What God is searching for is someone who has a passionate fire burning in them for him. Now, if we understand what he did, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or last week on Sunday morning, that how by the very grace of God that we've experienced should certainly change in us and create an action from us because what we believe on the inside will always affect our behavior. If you look at what the church's behavior is today across the world, it will tell you immediately that we don't have much faith in God. We talk about Him a lot, but we don't experience Him a lot, and we're not challenging because we hold God at the concept level and don't try to experience Him because it's too risky. I don't want to offer somebody something that I can't deliver because if I promise that God will do it and nothing happens, then God's reputation is on the line and I don't want to risk it. No, I'm going to risk it. It's God's reputation that's on the line. And I believe that He's still God and I believe that He will do within His will what He intends to do. And there's no reason that we could expect Him to do less. But He's searching for men and women whose hearts are passionately on fire for Him. He's looking for men and women who will leave the casual behind. Casual is killing us. Our casual approach, our casual faith, our casual hope, casual ministry. He's looking for men and women who will shake cities, who will change nations, who will bring hope to people. He's looking for men and women who will do it. It's a strange thing to think of people or imagine people who have such a desire for heaven and eternity. And you, you can go church by church, person by person, and they will tell you individually their anticipation and their desire for heaven and eternity. But it's amazing that those very people who, who desire that heaven and eternity with God have so little interest or so little desire for the things of God today. Long for eternity, to be with God forever, just don't have a lot of interest in being involved with the things of God today. I think it's certainly recognized that that's true. God is searching. I love the fact that he found it in Paul. It says that something was stirring in him. Do we also have the ability to be stirred by God? prompted by God, moved by God, so that in that stirring, that He can also, that Spirit that's in us, will stir by the Spirit of God, and that He can do in us what He did. I mean, right here, Paul is going in and challenging, but we know. By the Spirit of God, Paul wrote. By the Spirit of God, Paul taught. By the Spirit of God, Paul led. By the Spirit of God, Paul challenged these young men. By the Spirit of God, he witnessed. By the Spirit of God, he suffered. By the Spirit of God, he testified of his relationship with God. None of it possible without the reality that God found in him. Someone in whom he could place the Spirit of God. One of my favorite chapters when I began 
teaching a new believer is Galatians chapter 1. I love it because it introduces them to some things that they will come into much later, but it's worth them hearing now. When Paul makes those kind of statements, the things I learned, I did not learn by the hands of men. I learned by the Spirit of God. I love it when he admits to who he was, that he was persecuting believers. But in that verse 15, I believe it is, it says, but when it pleased God. Because every new believer is sitting there with that same conjunction. Right now, as this new life begins, it's, it's beginning with the same conjunction that Paul did. But when it pleased God, he chose to demonstrate his son in me. To so establish Paul so that you could look at him and see what God was like. He's still searching. He's still looking. I know this group here as well as I know any believers and that we are people of faith. But I also know that we can get very calm in whatever situation we have, whether it's busyness of our lives or because we feel like that we're kind of past the time when it could happen. We have to always live ready so that God can stir that spirit within us because there's not ever a day. It's amazing that God never sees our capability being lessened by my physical ability or by my mental or emotional ability. Isn't that amazing? I have not changed. Though my body is aging, my knees hurt, my shoulders can't do what they used to do, and my mind is not as clear as it once was, my capability before God is not diminished a single piece. I think it's amazing. Because I have within my capability the ability to demonstrate who Christ is in me. Lord, we thank you tonight for this message. Just really love, Lord, the question that Pharaoh had, where will we find such a one as this? Where will we find a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Again, I don't know how he understood that or why he would ask that, but we know by with great profundity that he asked the right question. He asked the thing that had to be asked because the task was too great. Well, for us, the task is too great. There is no capability found within us against the task that's set before us. So you ask the same thing. Where can we find someone in whom the Spirit of God is? I pray, Lord, that when you look across this group, you will find within this congregation that heart, that willingness to say before you, I'm willing. I'm ready. Fill me with that spirit so that each day the capability that I wake with, that I go forward with, is not mine. The capability is yours. Thank you that I'm not limited to mine, that I can take on those attributes and the capabilities of that one who has now filled me, that I, like that balloon, can rise above my capability and demonstrate something so much greater because of you who has taken up residence in me. Thank you for this lesson. Powerful and simple. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.